This is day 199 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Luke chapters 15 through 19. Lord Jesus, as we explore your word, please heal us. We need healing so badly, Lord. We are so lost and destitute without you. We are so ignorant of the things of God when we just lust after the things of this earth. Those things are so empty, but yet they entice us so easily. Lord, help us to put on our armor, to put on the defenses that protect us from Satan and from the forces of evil, that we may give you a heart dedicated to your service. Please strengthen us today and give us the wisdom and the self-control to fight. Please bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of this country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran 
and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? 
And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, and that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went in from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same 
on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. In answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is there, also the vultures will be gathered. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge did. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day, he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector's, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. 
When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one yet has ever sat. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully, with a loud voice, for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. All right, so we have reached the end of our reading for today, and I'm still at a loss as to what I would actually talk about here in the book of Luke. Just like with Matthew and Mark, there is so much in here. It boggles the mind as to what I want to talk about not only because of time, but also there's just so much. There's so many things I want to tell you, but it's just going to take hours upon hours to do it all. And we don't have time for that, unfortunately. And this is something that I, again, recommend that you study on your own, because I'm not the teacher. I'm just a guide. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And so if you spend time in His Word, He will teach you if you want to learn. So that's why I've been hesitant to give anything away or try to go through something in particular because, you know, not only for time, but also because there's just so much here. So I'm going to talk about just three things today that really stood out to me in today's reading, and we'll leave it at that. So one of the main themes that you see throughout the reading today is repentance. This is something that is necessary for all believers to constantly keep ourselves in check and examine ourselves. And if we are in error in any particular way, then we need to correct it. 
but not just to apologize, but to actually do something about it. So we have a couple of examples of what that looks like. And not only that, but with repentance itself, we need to understand what kind of an impact it has. Just like it says in chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now again, he's referring to when he says righteous people. He's not talking about us. He's talking about the Pharisees. People, and this applies to Christians too, Christians who think they don't need to repent of anything. That is incorrect in so many ways. We are sinners by nature. There's always going to be something to repent of. They may not be big things, but there's still something that needs to be repented of. And if we get to the point where we sear our consciences to the point where we don't think we need repentance, there's something wrong. We obviously haven't spent enough time in God's Word because we think that we're okay. We're never okay. We are dependent upon God for every single thing. So if we ever get to the point where we think that we're comfortable, there's something wrong. I'm saying that as nicely as possible, but it is the truth. We cannot get complacent as Christians. And just like the Pharisees, we cannot judge other people because we think we're more righteous than them. We're not. Your righteousness is nothing. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that makes you clean and that sets you apart. It has nothing to do with you. What it has to do with you is the decision you make to use it and to be obedient to Christ. In the same way, he gave a second parable about the woman who lost a coin, just like it says in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You want to put it like this, he's not talking about us. He's talking about bringing somebody to salvation. And the whole illustration of this as well is not only from God's standpoint that he would seek out the ones that are lost, and we being the 99 that are already good, we don't need to worry about it. But he worries about the one that is lost. In the same way, in our own church, we are among believers. Not all of them are true Christians, but there are real Christians in the midst. So we don't have to worry so much about them. We do need to equip each other, iron sharpens iron, so on and so forth. Yes, I'm not discrediting any of that. But what is our focus supposed to be? The mission is to focus on the one that is lost. And we should rejoice in that. So one person coming to Christ has a heavenly impact. Like it says here, there is joy in the presence of all of the angels when one person repents. So again, for those who have ministries or those who witness or try to evangelize in your everyday life, even if you don't have big results, you've only saved one person in your whole life, that is a humongous deal. You help bring somebody to Christ. That is fantastic. You cannot demean that. Yes, there are some people who will speak once, and hundreds of people will get saved. Yes, that is their lot. 
but sometimes our lot is to save one person. And one person can change the course of history. So don't ever think that what you're doing is unimportant. Continue to fight the good fight in this, because Jesus also talks about this in a couple of his parables, that those who have a little and are responsible with it, more will be given. But those who are not responsible for it, even what they have will be taken away. We don't want to be that. And then he gives the story of the prodigal son. And there's a lot of different things you can draw out of the prodigal son, but I'm not going to go that far into it. There's so many facets to this. So first off, you see the younger son doesn't even care about his father at all. He just wants his money. So he gets his money before the man actually died, but his father gave it to him graciously. He messed up, and it said that while he was in there with the pigs, that he came to his senses. This is an important statement, because when you come to your senses, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you that sense. We are that way in our own life as well. We are people of a sinful nature. And yet, out of nowhere, God will change us in such a way where we become sensitive to his will and we recognize the weight of our sin. And what we have been doing is wrong, and we need to do something about it. That is not natural. Most people wallow in their sin their whole lives without a second thought. But we are different. God transforms us in such a way where it brings us to our senses, and something is wrong. So then we go to the Father, which is supposed to be God here, and we say that we're not even worthy to be his child. But what does he do? He throws his arms open for us. He runs to us when he sees us afar off. He gives us the best of the best because he loves you. We cannot be the older brother, though. How some people are more blessed than we are, how we may be inconvenienced and other people are not, or how God seems to rejoice in one person's salvation more than my own. We do not want to place judgment on that, because if you're angry at the Father, just like this man was, you're disagreeing with God. You're angry at God for saving somebody. Does that make any sense? God brought somebody to salvation, you're angry? Because it's not fair? You have to understand that when you look at the economy of the world, you being saved is not fair. It was a gift of grace. It was nothing you did to deserve it. You did nothing to contribute to your salvation. So how can you be acting this way? You don't question God. God does as he pleases. And it is a miracle that he saves anyone. He doesn't have to save anyone, but he does. And we praise God for that. In chapter 16, we see the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, there's a lot in here as well. We see a very vivid picture of hell, for example. There's burning, and it's not a good place to be. But I wanted to point out what they are talking about at the end between Abraham and this rich man. So Abraham is comforting Lazarus, and the rich man is calling out to Abraham for mercy. And Abraham saying, it's too late, man. Besides, even if I wanted to help you, 
there is a great chasm between us that we cannot cross. There is no way for people of hell to go to heaven. There is no way of people for heaven to go to hell. But this is the point to really focus on, what the man says. I beg you that you send Lazarus to my father's house so that they can be warned about this place. And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What is he saying? Why can't a man come back from the dead and convince these men to stop sinning? Why does Abraham tell him to just listen to Moses and the prophets? What does that represent to the Jewish people? That represents the word of God. They need to listen to the word of God. And look what he says as well. The rich man says, no, but if someone comes back from the dead, they will repent. And then Abraham says something very profound. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. How much of the world truly believes Jesus Christ for who he really is? Little to none, right? Just those that God has chosen. So, Jesus came back from the dead. You would think that people would believe that because they would be persuaded because he rose from the dead. They won't be. By denying Jesus, they have denied God the Father. And by denying Jesus, they have also denied the Word of God because he is the Word. So, the Bible tells you everything you need to know about God and about Jesus Christ, and who the Messiah is, and what the Law and the Prophets were leading up to. It's all there. The Word of God is what saves you. It has nothing to do with anything else. No miracles are going to cut it. You would think that after all the miracles the Israelites saw when they were in the Exodus, that they would believe, but they didn't. You would think that all the miracles that the people around Jesus were seeing would cause them to believe that he was God, but they didn't. So there is no physical manifestation of anything that is going to cause you to believe. It is simply the penetration of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that will do it. His baptism of your spirit and the regeneration of your soul is what's going to do it. That's it. They won't believe Jesus, even though he came back from the dead. They need to listen to the law and the prophets. The Bible has everything that they need to find God. He wants to be found, and he can be found through his word and through his calling. The last thing I'm going to say is from chapter 17, and it's the portion of scripture between verses 7 and 10. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare me something to eat, clothe yourself and serve me, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, this is with the important part, so you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This is important. So very important. We are servants of our master, Jesus Christ. 
We belong to him. He owes us nothing. He didn't even owe us salvation, but he gave it to us anyway. And by his purchase of us on the cross, by his blood, we are owned by Jesus Christ. We are his servants. He is our master. A servant should not expect to be praised for doing your job. I come from a rough background in the business world, and I was raised on no news is good news when it came to my work. If I wasn't getting yelled at, that means I was doing a good job. Now, that may not always be the case spiritually, but when we serve God, when we help the poor, when we give of our resources, when we pray and read our Bible, it's not what we're going to get out of it. We don't worship God for his benefits. We don't do the things in the Bible that he tells us to do because it's just the right thing to do. We do it because we want to, but at the same time, we don't do it expecting anything in return. If we truly understood who God was, we know that he is going to take care of us. Just like he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things, the things that you need, will be added to you. For the Lord knows what you need before you even ask him, right? So when it comes to sharing the word of God, spending time in his word, growing in faith, these are all things that are expected of us. And if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, don't look for recognition. Don't look for fame. Don't look for resources. Don't look for wealth. By doing your job, that is enough. God won't always spell it out for you in the sky. Hey, you're doing a great job. You'll know. Because in your heart of hearts, you will have that confidence and you'll have that clear conscience that you are doing the right thing. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't get greed involved. Keep an attitude of submission and humility throughout your days, because that is the true reward. The true reward is the treasures that you are storing up for yourselves in heaven. Jesus will reward you in many ways that you can't even imagine. We have no idea what we are storing up for the future. And even when we talk about treasures in heaven, I don't even know what that is. But I want to do it because he told me to do it. We should not expect anything if we are doing our jobs. If we are not doing our jobs, we should expect some whipping, right? We should expect consequences to happen. But when we are doing our job, don't be surprised if you're doing your actual job. Or don't puff yourself up with pride. Hey, I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing. No. That is what is expected of you. It's great that you're doing it, but don't get arrogant. Don't think, well, now I'm better than everybody else. You can't go and do that. It's going to cause you to fall. You will fall. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Solomon understood that because he lived it. In the same way, God is telling us from the times of old that pride and arrogance have no place in a Christian. Do not worship God for his benefits. Worship him for who he is. And he'll take care of you if you trust him. Now with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. 
and we'll see you next time. Take care and God bless you.